A Light to the Nations is a production of the Ephesus School Network. Hello and welcome. You are listening to episode 31 of A Light to the Nations. I am your host, Father Fred Shaheen. The text for discussion today is the Gospel reading for Thursday, December 14th. Let's begin by hearing Mark chapter 9, verses 10 through 16. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, All the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? At the end of this passage, we hear that the scribes are engaged in a dispute with Jesus' disciples. Earlier, in chapter 8 of Mark, we heard how the scribes, along with the chief priests and elders, will soon reject Jesus and condemn him to death. Our understanding of this passage centers around what the scribes say concerning Elijah, and that is precisely the question Peter, James, and John ask Jesus as they are coming down the mountain where he had been transfigured before them. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? In verse 12, Jesus answers and tells them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. Then he reminds the disciples how it is written of the Son of Man, reiterating that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. And in verse 13 we hear, But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. When we hear this rendered in English, it isn't clear whether Elijah is coming or if he has already come. In verse 12, the Greek verb is elthon, which is the aorist form of erchome, to come. This verbal form indicates that an action is complete, so a more appropriate way of rendering it might be, having come first, Elijah indeed restores all things. Also, Jesus equates the things that must take place as it is written concerning both himself and the one who comes before to restore all things in preparation for him. In Jesus' case, Scripture says he will suffer and be mistreated. In the case of the one who comes first, they will do to him whatever they wish. We are meant to understand this as a reference to John the forerunner, who comes before Jesus to prepare the way, just as we hear in the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, which quotes the prophet Isaiah. Behold, I send my messenger before your face to prepare the way before you. By chapter 9 of Mark, we already know how John was treated, 
that he had been beheaded by Herod. What is inferred in Mark is made explicit in the Gospel of Matthew, where we hear in the parallel text the following additional clarifying phrase, Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Matthew also says in another place, in chapter 11, verse 14, concerning John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. A proper understanding of the words of both Mark and Matthew about Elijah requires hearing the text functionally. In Scripture, the emphasis is not on individuals and personalities, but rather on how the characters function in the narrative. In both Gospels, John, the Baptist and forerunner, functions as Elijah, the one who, according to Scripture, must come first to restore all things, preparing the way for the one who comes after him, that is, Jesus, the Christ. In a literary sense, the figure of Elijah both brackets the narrative here in Mark and appears in its center. While coming down from the mountain, Peter, James, and John ask Jesus what the scribes say concerning Elijah. Their question comes after they had seen the prophet appear alongside Moses when Jesus was transfigured before them. Toward the end of chapter 8, when Jesus had asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? They offered the following, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Note here how John and Elijah are presented in equal terms. Both are incorrect answers to the question of who the Christ is, and also how John's name is mentioned first. Mark's intent in this is to prepare his hearers to understand the figure of John as functionally taking on the role of Elijah. As the addressees of the text, we are meant to understand. However, the narrative underscores the failure of the scribes to understand and submit to the teaching of the text, of which they purport to be experts. Ironically, they are in expectation of Elijah, who they believe must come first, yet they have rejected both John, who comes fulfilling the words of Isaiah, and the authority of Jesus, presented in Mark as the fulfillment of Isaiah's suffering servant, whom they will soon deliver to death. By rejecting both Christ and his forerunner, the scribes de facto reject the authority of God, whose voice came out of a cloud and declared regarding Jesus, This is my beloved Son, hear him, in the presence of both Moses, that is to say the law, and Elijah, that is, the prophets. And it is upon hearing those words that Peter, James, and John are commanded by Jesus to tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. In verse 10, we hear that those three follow Jesus' directive, even as they don't understand. We hear again about their lack of understanding when there is a large crowd of people gathered around the scribes, disputing with the other disciples. The matter under discussion is the inability of Jesus' disciples to cast out a deaf and dumb spirit from the son of a Gentile follower. Indeed, here the disciples display a lack of understanding and faith, and yet they will be endowed with the authority to teach, preach, and heal, just as Jesus himself does among all nations. 
the rejection of Jesus by the scribes will carry over in their rejection of his disciples. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In the last verses of Malachi, the last prophet in the scroll of the Twelve, Elijah's coming is presented as upholding the teachings of the law given by Moses. We would expect a scribe, someone who by profession copies sacred texts, to be well-versed in words and their meanings and to have a proper understanding of this teaching. However, in the Gospels, that is not the case. In their simultaneous rejection of Jesus and his forerunner, while still maintaining that Elijah must come first, the scribes demonstrate that they don't understand. Nor do Jesus' own disciples, who themselves resist the Master's teaching, that according to Scripture, the cross is necessary, and the only acceptable course of action is trusting in God and patiently waiting to be vindicated by Him. That's why it is said specifically that they questioned what the rising of the dead meant. At least Jesus' disciples are still being trained, so there is hope for them. The scribes, however, are resolved to their own course of action. By conspiring to have Jesus delivered up to be crucified, they are opposing the will of God as recorded in Scripture. And so, in the narrative, Jesus is canceled. His disciples will be canceled too. The prophets, the priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees all will be canceled. This is how it works. In Scripture, everyone gets canceled so that the only thing left standing is the teaching, the life-giving word which comes out of the mouth of the Lord. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. And that's what makes scripture such a hard pill to swallow. Even the gospel, which we are used to calling good news, is simply news, a word to be heeded and obeyed. The fact that it is most often not obeyed makes it difficult to justify calling good. Finally, let's hear those words of Malachi concerning the purpose of Elijah's being sent and how it relates to what God had expressed earlier via Moses in the giving of the law. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. This concludes episode 31 of A Light to the Nations. Thank you for listening. I look forward to meeting you here again in two weeks.